Hello and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the story podcast from the People's Friend in association with the Oddfellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team delve into our archives to find a story to read and then sit down for a wee chat about it. So, make yourself a cuppa, pull up a chair and come join us. Today, we're reading St. Valentine's Violets by Ida May. First published on the 15th of February, 1930. Reading the story is Marion from the Features team. Over to Marion. A quick turn of the key in the lock, a light step in the hall, and Nell Gilbert burst impetuously into the sitting room hurrying to the cheery fire burning in the old-fashioned grate. Sorry to be late, dear, she said, dropping a kiss on her mother's smooth cheek. But I met Ruth coming home, and of course we stayed talking. Mrs Gilbert looked at her daughter with a faint smile. Which way did you come home, she asked. By the upper road, why? Because Bruce went to meet you by the lower one, Mrs Gilbert explained. I'm sorry, Nell said carelessly, but of course, as I didn't know, I can't be blamed. Mrs Gilbert rolled up the stocking she was darning and considered her daughter attentively. Nell had pulled off her small, close-fitting hat, revealing the chestnut locks that, now being allowed to grow after their recent cropping, twined in loose curls all over her small, shapely head. Her hazel eyes were bright, the exercise in the keen air had whipped her soft colour to a rosier glow, her fresh young mouth was parted in a half-smile. Mrs Gilbert stifled a sigh. Poor Bruce. But aloud, she said briskly, No, of course you are not to be blamed. Bruce will understand. You know, Nell, I shall be sorry when he goes home next week. It has been so nice having a young man in the house. If I had had a son, I should have liked him to be like Bruce. I did hope. Nell whisked round, and seizing her mother's plump shoulders, shook her gently. Ah, now we're coming to it. Artful old matchmaker, aren't you? Bruce isn't your son, but you'd like him for a son-in-law. And why not, murmured Mrs Gilbert. Mother, there's nothing doing. I like Bruce very much. We're excellent friends. Just that and nothing more. As I've told you a dozen times, I don't intend to marry. Ah, murmured her mother. Do you know, my dear, I can distinctly hear myself saying the same thing at your age. Nell snorted. No doubt, but I mean it. Things are different now. Very different, Mrs Gilbert agreed fervently. Different and and better, went on Nell loftily, ignoring her mother's accent. You had nothing to do but marry, but now there are a hundred careers open to girls. More exciting things for them to do than just get married. More interesting, more important, more... Your father, Mrs Gilbert interrupted happily, and getting up, went swiftly into the hall. Nell looked after her with disproving eyes. Really, Mother was too old-fashioned. Just as her daughter had been about to deliver a really improving lecture on, well, all kinds of things, she must rush off like that just because she thought she'd heard her husband's step. And with that look on her face, too, and her silver wedding day well past, Nell thumped a book down on the table just to emphasise her opinion. But it was not her father. It was Bruce Holland, 
and he followed Mrs Gilbert into the room, smiling serenely at the angry Nell. "'I am sorry I missed you, Nell,' he said. "'You see, I took it for granted that you would take the lower road.' At the sound of his voice, Nell's irritation vanished. "'That was the best of Bruce. He always seemed to smooth you down. "'He was a dear boy. She'd never denied it. "'And she did value his friendship.' She had told him so when he had asked her to marry him. But liking was one thing and loving another, as she had informed her mother lots of times. I'm sorry too, Bruce, she answered. Still, it doesn't matter, it was only ten minutes' walk. Bruce nodded, his plain, pleasant face with the steady eyes and humorous mouth still turned towards her. It's a lovely evening, he said, really wonderful for the time of year. Yes, isn't it, Mrs Gilbert struck in. Why, she added, her eyes on the calendar, the day after tomorrow is St Valentine's Day. Nell sniffed. The memory of that interrupted speech still rankled. No one takes any notice of that old stuff nowadays, she announced. It's all nonsense. Mrs Gilbert smiled placidly. Maybe, my dear, she answered. I still have the Valentines your father sent me. You would have, Nell said coldly. Bruce, shall we try over those new records you bought yesterday? Bruce sprang to his feet. Rather, he agreed. You might give me another lesson in that new step, Nell. That is, if Mrs Gilbert isn't afraid of her carpet. Mrs Gilbert shook her head. Dance away, she said. Young folk danced even when I was a girl. Nell, feeling Bruce's arm around her, decided that he really was a first-rate dancing partner. It was nice to have someone to take you to dances when you were so fond of it. It was fortunate Bruce did not live so far away. Not too far away to come once a week, anyhow, and take her to a dance or to the cinema. Yes, she really did like Bruce very much. It was a pity he wasn't content to let it stay at that. She supposed her mother had known he meant to propose when she had asked him here for the fortnight he always had off in the spring. Well, now she knew her daughter's mind... Nell had given her large pieces of it on various occasions. Perhaps she'd stopped being so foolish and old-fashioned and realised that Nell did not mean to marry. St Valentine's Day dawned bright and cheery, with a fresh spring wind to send white clouds scudding across a clear sky. Even the postman looked cheerful under his load as Nell answered his knock. There was a letter for her father, one for her from the cousin in Canada, and a parcel for Bruce. Nell found herself staring down at the parcel with wondering eyes, for it bore a florist label, and from it came the sweet, alluring perfume of violets. Flowers for Bruce? How odd it seemed. Then her face cleared. Dear old Bruce. Of course they were really for her, only he hadn't sent them direct because he wanted to give them to her himself. He was always doing things like that. He really was a dear. Gaily, she entered the sitting room, where her mother was just taking her place at the breakfast table. A parcel for you, Bruce, she announced, setting the box before his plate. Mrs Gilbert smiled. Well, I'm glad someone has a valentine, she remarked. Because it's February 14th, it doesn't mean that letters and parcels have anything to do with it, Nell remarked loftily. Her father chuckled. We thought differently, didn't we, mother? Do you remember... But Nell wasn't listening. She was watching Bruce untie his parcel, wondering a little at his puzzled expression. Of course, he must know what it was, so 
Why look like that? Slowly, Bruce lifted the lid from the box and sat looking down at its fragrant contents. Violets. The loveliest and certainly the most costly violets Nell had ever seen. Great masses of them. So large, so fresh and so carefully packed that they must have cost quite a lot of money. Bruce suddenly buried his nose in the blossoms. By Jove, aren't they wonderful, he exclaimed. Who on earth could have sent them? Sent them? Sent them? Nell's eyes widened. So Bruce hadn't ordered them, and they weren't for her at all. My dear boy, what wonderful violets. It was Mrs Gilbert speaking. Shall I get a bowl? Bruce sprang to his feet. No, sit still, I'll get one. But these flowers must go on the table at once. He dashed into the kitchen and returned with a shallow bowl of water in his hands. Very gently, he began to lift out the violets, and as he did so, a card that had lain amongst them slipped out and fluttered at Nell's feet. She picked it up and handed it back, but as she did so, she could not help seeing the words written on it, words in a graceful feminine hand, To my Valentine. Bruce took the card, read it, frowned, and thrust it into his pocket. Lovely flowers, my boy, remarked Mr Gilbert. They're my favourite flowers, and I think I've heard you say they're yours too. Bruce nodded, his eyes still on the violets. Nell opened her lips for a teasing remark, then shut them firmly again. Of course, if Bruce didn't want to tell her, well, he didn't, and there was an end of it. But considering that they were such great friends, he certainly might have done so. For the rest of the meal, she was unusually silent. Bruce, noticing nothing, was his usual cheery self, but of the violets he said never a word. Breakfast over, Bruce went out with Mr Gilbert, saying he would walk with him as far as the office, and Nell was left alone with her mother. It was Mrs Gilbert who lifted the bowl from the table and set it carefully on the sideboard. They really are wonderful, she said, bending to sniff the violets once again. I wonder who sent them, Nell said abruptly. She hadn't meant to say it. It had just slipped out. Her mother smiled. Well, Bruce is a very attractive young man, she murmured. Nell glared. Did you see what was written on the card that came with them? No, my dear, did you? I I couldn't help it, Nell said. It was to my valentine. Was it really? Mrs Gilbert said placidly. Well, well, let's hope she's a nice girl. I should like to see Bruce happy. Nice, nice. Surely no nice girl would send flowers to a young man whom she didn't know really well. She wouldn't have done in my young days, my dear, but things are different now, you know. You're always telling me so. Nell opened her lips, then shut them again tight. And you know, Nell, went on her mother, she may know Bruce very well. She can't do. He's never mentioned her to me, Nell said sharply. Maybe he hasn't, but perhaps it's her photograph he carries in his pocketbook. Photograph? Pocketbook? echoed Nell. Mrs Gilbert nodded. I've seen him look at it. Oh, of course he didn't think I saw him. Young folk always seem to think their elders are blind and deaf, as well as... The kind eyes twinkled, slightly imbecile. And anyway, you mustn't be a dog in the manger, Nell. Me? A dog in the manger? Me? Nell's grammar failed before her wrath, and then she went out and shut the door softly. 
marvelling at her own self-control. Besides being St Valentine's Day, February 14th chanced to be the birthday of an old friend, and after dinner Nell set out to visit her. Of course, she decided, Bruce would meet her coming home. There was only one way she could return this time. But she came home, and Bruce did not meet her. Entering the house, she found he was out. I haven't missed him, have I? she asked, a little furrow appearing in her smooth forehead. I don't think so, her mother told her cheerfully. You see, my dear, he went out soon after you and didn't say where he was going, so of course I didn't ask him. Of course not, Nell echoed. I expect he's gone to see his old chum, Tom Bristow. Perhaps, Mrs Gilbert said slowly. To tell you the truth, my dear, I wondered if it was anything to do with those violets, and that's why I didn't ask. I know young men are sometimes shy about talking about that kind of thing, so I thought it best to say nothing. Nell forced a smile. Very wise of you, she said. Soon after that, Bruce himself came in, very brisk and gay, but singularly silent as to his afternoon's doings. I say, Nell, he said, as he devoured crumpets with relish. There's a good picture on at the Royal. Suppose we go tonight. Better make the most of the time, eh? Nell meant to refuse. She was sure she meant to refuse. But instead, she heard her own voice saying quite meekly for Nell. I'd like to, Bruce. Good, said Bruce, taking another crumpet. I've heard it's a fine film. It was a fine film, only somehow Nell didn't enjoy it as much as she had anticipated. She did wish Bruce had told her about those violets. It was silly of him, considering what good friends they were. She would have liked to have heard of anything that concerned him. Surely such old friends as they were could sympathise with each other in all their joys and sorrows. Fine scene, that. Bruce's voice brought her back to her surroundings. Very fine. I like it, she said. But try as she would, she could not fix her attention upon the film. There was that photo, too. The photo her mother had seen Bruce take from his pocketbook. Why on earth hadn't Bruce shown it to her? She remembered he had asked for one of hers some time ago, but she had refused. Still, she would have liked to have seen the face of the girl who had sent those violets. She did think it was odd of Bruce not to have shown it to her. Bruce was quite unconscious of anything amiss. Indeed, Nell thought him in extra good spirits, yet somehow he seemed different. She couldn't have explained in what way, Surely he was different. He didn't seem to pay so much attention to what she said. He didn't notice every trifle as he had been wont to do. The difference lasted for the rest of his stay with them, but Nell was the only one who seemed to notice it. They went out for walks together and they went to a dance in the town hall. Nell danced nearly all the time with Bruce, yet he didn't seem so interested in the dances as he had been and certainly wasn't anxious to learn that new step Nell was teaching him. Only a week ago he had seemed so keen. Ah, but in the interval had come the violets. The violets from his valentine. The violets he had never mentioned since their arrival. Well, she supposed their friendship would be over now, but he might have been frank about it. The last day of Bruce's visit arrived, 
and still he had not been frank about it. That night he would be going. Thinking of their goodbye, Nell felt an odd little pang shoot through her heart. She'd miss him, of course. It was only natural, for they had been such good friends. She did hope the Valentine girl was nice, though. She couldn't help thinking of a minx. She and Bruce were alone for tea. Mrs Gilbert had gone to town on a special shopping expedition and had forbidden them to wait. Thus it came about that Nell toasted the crumpets while Bruce waited to butter them. They had grown very silent. Nell, kneeling on the hearthrug, was intent upon her toasting and it seemed that Bruce, leaning back in the shadows, was intent upon Nell. He watched her, his dark eyes brooding, his firm lips set watched the flames light up her ruddy curls, shine on her serious face with the red lips slightly parted, and suddenly, without warning, he spoke. Nell. Nell's start was so violent that the crumpet narrowly missed cremation. Nell, he leaned forward, speaking quickly. Nell, I can't help it. I must try again. I asked you the first day I was here, and I must ask you the last. Darling, I do love you so much. Won't you marry me? "'Yes,' said Nell, and was straightway gathered into the arms of a proud, happy, but a trifle surprised young man. It was some time later, when the congratulations were over and Bruce found himself alone with Mrs Gilbert, that he voiced his surprise. "'You know, Mrs Gilbert, I was afraid Nell really meant it when she said no the first time,' he said happily. "'She sounded very determined.' "'Girls do sometimes change their minds,' Mrs Gilbert reminded him. Bruce grinned. "'Jolly lucky for me they do, isn't it?' he said. "'And do you know, I have a sort of an idea "'that it had something to do with those violets "'I got on St Valentine's Day.' "'Have you really?' murmured Mrs Gilbert. "'He nodded. "'I believe they brought me luck. "'And the queer thing about it is "'that I haven't the faintest idea who sent them.' except that, of course, it couldn't have been a girl. No, said Mrs Gilbert, it wasn't a girl. It wasn't? But how do you know? Because I sent them to you myself, his future mother-in-law explained calmly. You? But I don't understand. Mrs Gilbert chuckled. It's a wise mother who knows her own daughter, she said. For a moment, Bruce stared. Then, you, you genius, he cried and hugged her. Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society, The Oddfellows. If you've ever wondered what being a member of the Oddfellows means, we're delighted to be able to share some first-hand answers. My name is Stephanie and I come from Warwickshire. I had only just joined the Oddfellows as the pandemic for Covid began. I only have one lung anyway and sadly, even though I obeyed all the restrictions as a um, vulnerable person, I still caught it and I was really, really ill. And I have to say 
that um, belonging to the Oddfellows quite literally saved my life. I was able to learn how to use Zoom and they became the reason for me to get out of bed each day because they had lovely um, coffee morning chats, they had quizzes and they had presentations and speakers would talk to us about all different things and I started to feel better. They gave me um, that feeling that I would get over this and I could do anything with the odd fellows at my side. And so I'd just like to say thank you. True friendships provide us with memories that we cherish for a lifetime. They help us to grow and become better people and they help us to make a better society. For over 200 years, The Odd Fellows has helped its members forge friendships and offered help in times of need. So why not give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 for a free information pack or visit oddfellows.co.uk to find your local branch. Everyone's welcome. Now, let's get back to the story. Let me top up my coffee, grab some of my friends and we'll have that little chat about it. You just heard a lovely reading of St. Valentine's Violets, read by Marion, who is also with us today. Hello, Marion. Hello. Also joining us is another from the Features team, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Hello. And from our DC Thompson Archive team, we have David. Hello, David. Hi, yeah. Um, So, a sweet little Valentine's treat. This was published on the 15th of February, so a day after Valentine's Day. And when this episode comes out, should be all going to plan just before Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to everyone listening. Um, I'm going to start with, do any of us care for Valentine's Day or do we actively dislike it? What's our opinions? It's a money-making exercise. Ah. (laughs) Yeah, with you, David. (laughs) I think my view on it is, if I received a Valentine's card from my husband, it would be gratefully received, but... I, I don't like, you know, I'm I'm not like, oh, you must buy me a Valentine's card. It's like romance and blah, blah, blah. It's just, I, I kind of am inclined to agree with the others. There are 364 other days that you can show affection. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm in between. I do think it's, it's tending to like a corporate holiday type thing. But I'm always just like, if there's an excuse for extra presence and love and excuse to go out, then why not? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah except if you book the following week you'll pay half as much and get that twice as good true. service it's always too busy as well so and actually my my, my partner's anniversary is on the 15th so because because we didn't want our anniversary to be on valentine's day so we're like let's just wait a day before we make this official <laughs> so yeah we're we're for our holidays and, and whatever we want to do around that time it's always very busy um, but back to the story, slight tangent, Valentine's tangent. Um, I immediately want to talk about Nell. Because again, I think such a strong personality comes through. Like she's modern, fiery, quite funny. Um, I really enjoyed her. Although I'm not sure you're supposed to. Like I think she's supposed to come across as quite snotty and entitled. Um, what do you think? Who Do you like Nell? 
I didn't like her to begin with. Um, you know, it's like when um, her mum's saying, oh, what, what way were you walking home? And straight away she's like, but I can't be blamed because I didn't know. And just the, You're the, quite flippant. Yeah. Like, well, it's not my fault, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did kind of come round to her um, towards the end of the story, I think. Her relationship with her mum made me laugh. Because <laughs> <laughs> you relate to it or...? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> She's like a teenager, though, isn't yeah. she, with her mum? She's like, oh, you know nothing. And there was a bit as well where it just made me laugh, her perspective, where she was um, disparaging her mum about welcoming her father on the on the doorstep. Mm-hmm. And her silver wedding day well passed. Yeah, as if you've got to stop being in <laughs> oh, love. Oh, she's ancient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, 25 years of it. <laughs> It's funny, I come, I've, I've obviously gone the side other way where I really like Nell and her mum annoyed me. <laughs> I really liked her mum. I thought she was, I, I really liked the mum. I thought maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just too much of a teenager. <laughs> just like, mm, her mum's sticking her nose where it doesn't belong. <laughs> well, if it weren't for the mum, she wouldn't have got her man. Well, I would rather she didn't. Again, it's, it's, I think her slow realisation of how she'd taken Bruce for granted and that she actually liked him was quite endearing, um, but typical and a bit disappointed. Um, it reminded me of one of our other episodes in this season, A Cinema Star, a little bit, because A Cinema Star started out with this really fierce, independent character. And you're like, wow, this is great for the, the 20s or 30s, like, go for it. But then it just ended up undoing it all at the end and they just get married anyway. It's like, it's nearly there, but not quite. Um, so I was... I didn't want her to. I didn't think she would have got with her man if it wasn't for her mum sticking her nose in, and I think she would have been perfectly happy with the outcome. And yeah, <laughs> do you think she was a bit defensive though? Like mean, that little speech she gives to her mum about how much better things are. There are hundred careers of options open to girls now, but as soon as marriage option comes up for her, she jumps at it. Yeah. <laughs> Having said so many times that she's not going to get married. Yeah. It's that typical thing, isn't it? There's that line that happens. It's in the first, like, couple of paragraphs. It's like, I don't intend to marry. Oh, we can see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. People's friend readers know. Spoiler alert. But even when she does agree to marry him, it's, it's the weirdest sentence because he's just like, oh, I have to ask again, will you marry me? And she just goes, yes. And there's no, like, explanation of the emotion behind it, the, like, thought behind it, her rationalisation. She literally just says, yes. And I read it as the most, like, like, she literally said it like that, like, yes. <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's just so, I, don't, I feel like she didn't actually, like, she obviously wanted to, but I don't know. I mean, see, I read that differently. Because I read that, like, there's all this pent up, almost, he's never going to ask me again. Oh I, no! I, I thought that. Yes. Up, yeah. <laughs> like so much relief. Yes. <laughs> but there is nothing in it that actually says the way she says it, does it? No. You kind of just have to interpret it yourself. But I kind of like his reaction where he's that he's described as being proud, happy, but a trifle surprised, young man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So it's a yes said, Nell, and you can imagine her being like, yes. But it just has a bit of an air of like everyone deciding what's best. For Nell, and, it, and it's just, oh, we need to wait for Nell to catch up and realise that I didn't like. <laughs> I feel quite strongly about it, apparently. But then it was festering away, or wasn't it? Like, oh, 
who gave him those violets? Mm-hmm. 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 So it was bothering her a lot more than she would have realised herself. Who's the picture in the pocketbook? Yeah. yeah. It's not me. It was it. Can't be me. I've not seen one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely she just didn't realise that she did actually like him. I, I liked the way it expressed Nell's thoughts and stuff. Like the way she was like, sent them? Sent them? What? <laughs> just like very dramatic. And I'm like, I love it. There's something a bit Miss Piggy about it. <laughs> <laughs> very like... Yeah, you do get the impression that she's a little bit of a... Diva. A, a drama a queen. Diva. Diva is definitely the word. The way she's like, well, I couldn't have known because I took the different spoiled, or whatever. A spoiled only child is what came to me. But yeah. it's like... See, this, this is what I, I was interested in, in how people took it because I, I, I thought she was quite funny. I quite liked her. But I do think you're meant to read it as she's very selfish and snotty and doesn't she's realize opinionated, what she's got. but they're not grounded in experience or mm-hmm. not grounded in yeah. reality i think she's writing for the readers and she's writing from the point of view that the readers are the mums yeah oh. that's a good point yeah because you do get this theme a lot of like the meddling aunt or the meddling mum and mm-hmm. i say meddling but <laughs> mother knows best yeah, it's, it's, it's probably actually like a have you been scarred no. jackie are there issues here do we need to discuss this <laughs> i know it's quite funny actually because i do always read them as like god i wish these like mums and aunts figures would just leave them to it um even though they end up kind of fixing everything and that actually that's exactly why is because that's the reader would be the mums and aunts being like they would indeed well we're looking yeah. after the the younger ones we know what's best for them and 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 when you are a mum of somebody that age and you're looking on and you're watching a mistake in the process of being made <laughs> it's really really hard to stay completely out of the picture uh-huh. that's so fun. not speaking from experience here. <laughs> <laughs> and i think that is something we still get in the friend today, is it not? Like, I've read stories of sort of family playing matchmaker. You still get these kind of, like, yeah, motherly figures kind of orchestrating the young ones to get together and things like that. So it's a theme that still is present. But to be fair to the younger ones, mums don't always know best, and sometimes mums should keep right out of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a line. Definitely, yeah, definitely a line. <laughs> I think this mum was was on the right side. She was not being manipulative to be nasty, like as like some mums kind of might just that's their their way or the highway kind of thing. But she kind of just realised that this was a great son-in-law for her, mm-hmm. and it sounds a little bit a little bit selfish the way that I kind of put that there. But um, you know, from the mum's point of view, he'll be a good son-in-law for me. But I think she actually realised mm-hmm. that he was a good match for her daughter. I don't think it was all about, oh, he's the son I never had. I think it was about the daughter and they were a genuine good match. But I, th- I think the point was meant to be that you're meant to pick up that Nell does like Bruce and always has liked Bruce, but yes. has been in a bit of denial and her mum can clearly see it. Everyone else can clearly see <laughs> it. And she's just like, you know wanting to be independent and modern and and you know some people think feminism means that you can't want a man or you can't want to get married and things like that and it's like no you can still you can have both do you know what I mean you can be a modern woman and still want to get married there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair to mum she's not manipulating the situation to bring them together to get married she's just she does manipulate the situation but it's just to change Nell's perspective does she like Bruce 
does she not like Bruce? Mm-hmm. This will help her find out. She, yeah, she, the mum only does a couple of things to kind of nudge it in the right direction. She's not there kind of like manufacturing every moment <laughs> <laughs> to try and make it kind of force it home. You know, like it's actually quite subtle to send some flowers, just create some jealousy. And yeah. then the, the bit I really love is like towards the end, she goes like, mum went on a special shopping expedition because she needed to leave them alone. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. it's like mum knows what she's doing and she knows this is the last gasp of the saloon. It's now or never, <laughs> but she's going to get out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's a confirmation thing, isn't it? She's like, if I send these and she's not bothered, then okay, fine. But if I send these and she is, then it'll force her to kind of confront it. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm being a bit too harsh <laughs> on the mother. Bruce, however. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I got slightly annoyed at Bruce because he didn't know who these things had come from. And as soon as he thought he might have a secret admirer his attitude to Nell actually changed mm, yeah because he's, he's he says that he's less interested yeah doesn't it yeah I'm just I'm not sure how you're meant to interpret some of the things like is he less interested because there might be another option yeah. <laughs> or is it that he's just like who has said these <laughs> he's like plaguing his mind like who could it have been so he's, oh, so he's, he's preoccupied yeah, yeah but more just like what's yeah. that about and he obviously or has been thinking a lot about Nell um but he's already been yeah. refused once and then he sticks around for a couple of weeks which in my head is like no if you've been refused I'm away well, yeah. but you know it's a different time obviously it's like 19 we're 1930 now aren't we um so it's different times. So, you know, you, you're there on a visit and it's just like, oh, well, that didn't work out. And I, do, I just took it as like, well, okay, he's, he realised it's not going to happen. So he's just going to not give yeah. us quite so much attention. Though I did scribble down, treat them mean, keep them keen. Yeah. It's just like, it was like <laughs> no, maybe that's not, but I don't think he's that character. I think he's just slightly given up a bit. Yeah. I do think I, I was going to pick up on the illustration um, which is the scene where sh- she's roasting crumpets over the fire, apparently. <laughs> um, and he asked her to marry her again, I think. Um, I quite liked the illustration because it kind of shows that he's very intent on Nell and she's kind of oblivious or, like, not noticing it or taking for granted because she's facing away from him. So I quite liked that about the illustration. I think it did kind of illustrate the dynamic between them. And the wee tagline is... He was intent on Nell, but Nell was intent on her crumpets. Some girl has the priorities in the right place. <laughs> no, they got the illustration right because quite often with these, sometimes these stories, they, they seem to randomly pick mm-hmm. which aspect of the story to illustrate. And sometimes it can be a bit of a spoiler and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's just like, why that one? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I think it's just like, uh, maybe the, the artist that's commissioned can, can't draw certain <laughs> situations, but could do another one. I don't know. We were actually saying something of that sort in a meeting, that, a completely unrelated meeting that we had of the People's Friend team this morning. And that, that's something that the artists keep very much in mind these days. Never, ever give away the ending of a story in an illustration. But we noticed how often it happened in the old editions. Mm-hmm. It just, it's like, have a story, have a three-page story to read. Oh, and by the way, this picture shows you exactly what happens at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, this one doesn't, doesn't do that. It's kind of a, it does put across that kind of will they, won't they, mm. I think, of like, oh, will Nell finally turn around and pay attention to him, basically. Um, 
So yeah, it was a good, a good rare because I usually don't get the illustrations, but I think this is a rare one that did make sense. So let's move on to the author of the story because we were all quite excited about this in our previous episode, um, Six, Love's Ambassador, which was also by Ida May. David threw a curveball and suggested the wild theory that Ida May could, in fact, have been the editor at the time of The People's Friend, uh, David Pay. And since that episode, we've done some digging, or I should say David's done some <laughs> digging with the help of Charlotte Lauder. David, would you like to tell us a little bit about Charlotte and her work and what she's found out for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, um, I went on a wild theory <laughs> and um, I was proved completely wrong. Um, <laughs> which, As we, you know, I think we expected, one of those things, but it was you know, still you know, fun. It was an interesting way to look at the story. So I did what all good archivists do when they can't find the answer. They email a researcher that they know. <laughs> um, so Charlotte is, um, she's been a really good friend of the friend for the last, well, probably four years now, I think. She's uh, in the final throes of her PhD at the University of, Strath the University of Strathclyde, which I can't even pronounce today, <laughs> um, and joint, been done jointly with the National Library of Scotland. And she's looking at women's magazines and um, popular publications in the late 19th, early 20th century. So this is her bag. Mm -hmm. This is where she's done lots of stuff. So I emailed her um, and said, Mm, this is my theory. What do you think? And she goes, oh, I struggled with Ida May as well, actually, when she was doing some research. And she says, no, but she did find out something about her. So in 1918, the friend, which I should have known this really, but the friend <laughs> ran a small article introducing her as a new author to the friend for her story's Tale of a Taxi Girl. Mm -hmm. um, which is possibly a future podcast, I don't know. Um and that she was already an established author working out of London, uh, by the looks of it, or certainly published in London. I don't know where she's based. So she was publishing in 1918, um, and then there's a, an article about her in the Dundee Courier in 1922, where she's um, performing, or somebody at least called Ida May. It might be the same Ida May. It might be somebody different. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, performing in the Buccaneers at the King's Theatre in Dundee as an actress. So... We're not sure if she's maybe an actress or just writing on the side or what really. Um, so in the 1918 article um, in The Friend that appeared introducing her, she's pictured wearing a kind of a, a tri-cornered hat, you know, like a pirate hat, yeah. looking like she's in some sort of costume. It's not the world's most flattering of photographs because this is early printing and the images aren't great. But, you know, so you get an impression of her. So this morning, I went onto a genealogical website, which will remain unnamed, uh, and looked at the 1911 census to see if I could try and find her. There's lots of Ida Mays in England and Wales where I was looking. But I, if 1911 census, mm -hmm. she might not be mature enough to be publishing or be listed as an author at that point. So I was looking for anybody who might be slightly theatrical or the child of a theatre uh -huh. agent or something like that. Couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. And I've not been able to check the Scottish census for um, 1921 or uh, the English census for 1921 to see whether I could find her so that's, there. So that's my next step to see if I can next. find Tune something. Tune in <laughs> so, in another episode. Where we I am obsessed with this though because I mean, you think Ida May would be quite a unique name. Um, so I would hope that it is the same who was in the Buccaneer and also the writer, especially because, as you say, she's wearing a costume that looks like something out of 
the Buccaneers. But I just love that. I just love this woman who stars in musicals, wears a pirate hat, <laughs> writes romances. Like, I would want to be her best friend. Um, so I'm not, I'm not disappointed by this revelation at all, that it's not David Peer, because I think she's infinitely cooler. Um. <laughs> but at the same time, there's no way of just knowing whether she's writing under a pseudonym. Uh-huh. No. You know? Um, so Ida May Or even is, acting. Ida May to me name. seems like quite a romantic name. It's yeah. it's kind of quite summery and... Mm. I love the name Ida, actually. You know what? I'm putting that in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> it's very nice. Um, there are a few of them, though. When you look on the, on the interwebs, mm-hmm. there's a few Ida Mays about. Mm. Like, a lot of them in America, yeah. admittedly. And some quite yeah. famous ones in America, by the looks of things, which pretty sure is not our Ida May. No. Yeah. Well, the biography here talks about her having already published poetry and short stories. Mm. So she must be out there in other magazines. It's just with the these magazines not being digitised and being made text searchable, mm-hmm. it's yeah. difficult to find these people um, sometimes. Um, but that's not massively uncommon with most of the people's friend authors that we come across. There's very few that we can get a good biography on because, yeah. you know, many of them were just the man on the street or the woman on the street. That's the whole writing point. Writing is almost yeah. like a, as, as amateurs, essentially. That is the whole um, point. As a sideline to whatever they're doing for the rest of the time. But when you do come across clues, it's so interesting to try and follow <laughs> them up. <laughs> All you, theories. Did you not <laughs> find, it might not be our item here, but Marion, you found uh, a book, did you not? This was just a random search. I was I was doing a, a sort of item A troll on the <laughs> interwebs and came across a book on a second-hand book site. And it was written at about the right sort of time. Mm -hmm. And it was a gift book about the then Princess Elizabeth. And I did think to myself, by Ida May, and I did think to myself, that is exactly the sort of thing a people's friend writer would be writing at that time. Because that was 1920s. Yeah. It was not, yeah. So I'm I'm really intrigued. Possible, yeah. You yeah. never know. It's annoying. The description didn't say anything about what was like inside the book or what it was. It was just a. Yeah, I think it's probably Elizabeth just gift no. book. Yeah. photographs of of our dear late queen. Yeah, yeah. maybe some poems when she was little yeah. <laughs> it'd be really good if the fiction team could just make sure they get good biographies of all of their kind of writers now please so that we you know <laughs> to be fair <laughs> they do have yes. them most, most of the time I, I think um, but that takes away from the fun of people doing a podcasting yeah, that's yeah. true in another 2072 but <laughs> <laughs> it still be me <laughs> um, we hope so yeah but she must have been going a fair old while because you've got the People's Journal in 1918, The Phil on a Farm. And then, I think, was this story in 1930s or she was writing well up to the 19, 1930s? It's 1940s, I think. I think it was 1930s. Was it was late 30s, early 40s. But yeah, think, so that's quite a long spanning career for the writing. Yeah. I also noticed the People's Journal, um, which was the sister paper to. But it was the it was the the parent of the mm-hmm. People's Friend. It was the the weekly newspaper published in Scotland, um, which also kind of popularised fiction. And that's one of the reasons that the People's Friend came into existence was mm-hmm. because there was this excess of fiction and let's get it out there. You know, in there it's, it's like she she wrote this series of stories about um, called Phil on a Farm, uh, who was Phil was a, a land girl. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if it. I don't think it would have come across into the People's Friend. It's a shame because it would be a nice one to do on a 
a podcast for that. Yeah, I mean... I Maybe mean, do a guest publication. It's the same people, it's the same company, it's the same, you know, same publisher. Yeah, I'll read out the, the little bits that we do have. Um, so the People's Journal in 1918, Phil on a Farm, Romance of Land Girl, and the description of it is, in today's People's Friend, Miss Ida Mayer, a clever young English writer, commences a series of summer stories called Phil on a Farm. They embody the adventures of a girl who joins a land army and works on a farm in the south of England. So that maybe also backs up the fact that she's down south, maybe based out of London, if that's the area that she's yeah. writing about. And we also have in the... But then again, when she's in the Dundee Courier, the Buccaneers at the King's, the Buccaneer is, an al- is alternatively described as the new musical comedy review and the musical extravaganza, the story is suggested of Captain Marriott, Peter Pan, and Robinson Crusoe. Miss Ida May looks charming when she emerges from her oyster shell. <laughs> and this Birth is of Venus. Venus. <laughs> Birth of Venus in a pirate's hat. Like, I'm so here for it. I want to say that. I know. And and it, obviously this is a comedy and stuff. And we did say the reason, like her writing was very funny. Like it had like a very funny, dry sense of humor through the root of it. So I think she's just, yeah, brilliant, hilarious. I will do some more digging and see if I can find out any more because I'm curious now. I know. Well, this is the thing. Is this the same person? Is she writer and actress? I must. It. I just. I believe it. So interesting. So much. Um, And then I'll read out the. So this is actually from the People's Friend when she did her first series. I have pleasure in letting you know that a charming summer series of stories will begin in The Friend on the 6th of July. They are written by Miss Ida May, who contributed the Tales of a Taxi series in the spring. Miss May is a new writer who owes her first encouragement to The Friend. She has already appeared in several London publications and has written a considerable quantity of poetry. As a storyteller, she shows a remarkable ingenuity in relating the adventures of her characters, and she sees both the humorous and the pathetic sides of human life. Her new series, Phil on a Farm, tells about a girl who took up a work on a land farm and the adventures she met on a farm in the south of England. You will find it capital summer reading. So actually, Phil on a Farm was in the People's Journal, but this is The Friend. So it also appeared in The Friend. Hmm. Could be a typo. Or or maybe that was meant to be The People's Friend, not People's Journal. But either way, she was writing across many of the publications and you know she did do poetry so if that elizabeth gift book was sort of poems and photos and stuff i'm just saying <laughs> it might well be the same i'd believe it i want to find if anybody out there has got that gift book and knows what it contains please let us oh, know yeah the well, it was literally just called the elizabeth gift book wasn't it from the 1920s with so, a nice photo gonna... of the, the queen at about the age of three on the front cover Someone's going to find it in a car boot sale or something. <laughs> um, yeah. I love this. If we find, like, despite, I don't think her stories is my favourite stories from the season, but her as a writer and a person and an entity is definitely the thing, like, the most exciting thing that's come out of the series so far, I think. So, yeah, if we can find more suitable stuff, who knows? Could be a classics collection book somewhere down the line. Um, Miss Ida May I just I don't know there's an air of mystery about it that I is very encapturing we may find out yeah. big yeah. thanks to Charlotte yeah. <laughs> Charlotte yeah and These all the hours she has spent yeah. going through and looking at all these stories from this period especially just, just like, for phenomenal. you to just say like a name oh Ida May and she's like yes I have because the amount of names she must come across and writers she must come across and to know at the top of their head like 
yes, I do have something on that person is quite quite something. Must be quite. A See, I've always found it interesting that the People's Friend does go back to writers. You know, yeah. and it does kind of nurture this talent. Um, and so you do see them coming through and they, they get repeat, you know, they get repeated or, you know, more short stories coming through. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I always find that kind of, yeah, mildly fascinating. It's a nice that sense of tradition as well, because when you see what it wrote about her there, Miss May, a new writer who owes her first encouragement to the friend, and we're still doing that. Yeah. We're still bringing in writers who've never published anything before and who go on to do a lot. Some of them do great things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of them do something great by publishing in The Friend. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Turn into big names. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this is so nice. Yeah, Lisa, what do you think of Ida May? Do you, are, you, are you upset that it wasn't David Pay or do you think she's... I better? agree totally with you. Like, um, she, she just sounds really cool. Um, you know, like very kind of modern for her time. And yeah, I, I think that it's cool if if that if she was writing as herself mm-hmm. yeah yeah a hundred percent because i think it it was quite exciting to be like ooh, mystery it might secretly be a man it might secretly be david payer or whatever but i'm like you know what that's doing ida a disservice like she deserves to be known mm-hmm. as ida it was mm-hmm. her it wasn't you know oh maybe it's secretly a man or whatever it was a, just another fantastic friend female author but yeah whilst whilst i remember as well this is a complete tangent. But I would just like to give a shout out to Betty, who <laughs> Kirsty met at our Warner holiday at Alveston Hall and told us how much she enjoys the podcast and had a great idea of including an inbox for people to write in, which we will Im- implement for the next season. Um, so thank you, Betty. I hope you enjoy continuing to listen to the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that's that on our mad conspiracy theory. Not David Pay, just... I do it. <laughs> Which still sounds like amazing together. Um, so moving on with the episode. In terms of the writing, there's something I don't usually pick up on um, until Abby from the fiction team mentioned it. And actually it was mentioned in that meeting we were talking about this morning of like switching perspectives. So it's all from Nell's mind and point of view until the end when it's only Mrs. Gilbert. Um, what do you, does that really annoy you? you what do you think what do you think about that lisa i did not pick up on that until you just pointed yeah, it out yeah it's one of those yeah, that i never used now, to see yeah i don't know if it does it a few times but the only one i can think of is at the very end when it's it's obviously only mrs gilbert and bruce talking mm-hmm. so and i know that that um annoys some people in the team <laughs> to do today i don't think we would do that as much today it is a different scene though so, yeah, you know, but does it put a break kind of, in it, though? There's no break in the page printing. No. It does just run on. Uh-huh. Um, it did feel a bit like a coda or a kind of yeah, a, a wrap-up. Um, but not in the kind of the forced way that we've seen in other stories, where it's like, you know... You've it got, was six months later, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or here's a quick two-line moral for you, yeah. just in case you had missed it in the story. <laughs> I think you needed that big reveal. I think I'd, I'd guess... As with the previous Ida May story, I'd guessed where this was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured it was probably the mum that had sent the flowers. Because mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing young boys do. It's like mum sends the Valentine's card yeah. through the post just to wind up. I have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> so you needed that reveal just to wrap it all up. And it's like, you know, mum's won. 
a yeah. little bit or you know mum knows best isn't it but to, to fit, it would have been an easy fix if we just had sort of Nell involved in that interaction as well like you know she could have been like well who were the flowers from and her mum could have been like well she's like you and it would have been like quite a funny maybe this is the secret between mother-in-law and son-in-law the, uh, yeah, the rest of eternity that Nell can never know Nell knows she's been Nell is going to go spare when she finds <laughs> out <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's at the point um, after she said yes, and it says it was some time later, and it and it switches perspective to just them and Mrs. Gilbert. But I just I was quite pleased at myself for noticing it because I, I never <laughs> usually do, and it wasn't until um, the fiction team kind of pointed out to me. I was like, oh yeah, I've never noticed it. It's quite easy to slip past. Well, unless there is anything else to add, I think we will move on to our five star ratings. And I haven't thought about this yet, so I'm going to start at Marion. <laughs> by the time it gets to me, I've come up with something. I'm going to give it four. I quite enjoyed it. Okay, Um Any particular reason for not giving it the full five? Oh, no, you see, if I gave it full five, that would have to be pretty much perfect. Yeah. So I'm leaving room for improvement okay. in the next series. Okay. What about you, Lisa? Any? I think, for me, this one is going to be a five. Yeah. What? Ooh. No, I, d- I just think that, you know, she, it just felt quite real, like that when, you know, he had received these flowers that she was sitting there going, oh, but like, I thought he was thinking about me and yeah. why is he not thinking about me and, and who sent him the flowers? And the more that she thought about it, I, ju- I just thought that rang true, not for me personally, but it just seemed like something that you can actually imagine somebody starting to kind of fixate on, mm-hmm. um, and then I just liked the end of being like, I know that the the mum had been kind of uh, interfering somewhat, but I don't know. I just, I quite enjoyed it. I quite liked the end of it. And maybe she wouldn't have got together with Bruce had it not been for the mum. But if they were really meant to be, then they would have, they would have got together. I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I just thought it was kind of fun and yeah. Fair. Five. Fair enough. Um, I'm toying between a three and a four. Like, if it's a three, it's a high three. If it's a four, it's a low four. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, I am going to go... As you know what, I'm going to go with a three. That's the one that's ruminating my mind most. Um, I just... I don't know. It didn't stand out enough for me. And I found the mum annoying. <laughs> Um, and I wish they didn't get together at the end because I'm miserable. <laughs> what, what about you, David? Uh, I'm a three as well. I was oh, I was swithering between three and four. Um, and I think the main reasons for three are I didn't feel that the characters were quite as strong as the previous um, uh, Ida May story that had been looked at in the series. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm seeing similar structural things in the story between the way it was then and now. And I, I also got, I, I figured the twist out on this one again mm-hmm. um, before we got there. And so, yeah, it's just like, it's like we've seen this before. Can we see something new, please, now? So it's a three rather than a four from me. I'm really curious to hunt out more of their stuff. Um, and actually, yeah, because I gave the last one a five star. It's nothing against. It's not at all a writing point, really. Apart from maybe that slight perspective switch, but that barely, you know, comes into play for me. 
It's just solely the um, decisions made in the stories um, that I didn't like as much, but I still think it was farewell written and everything. I quite, I'm intrigued by the Ida Mae character. Well, that is a wrap on season three. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it's our last official episode of the season and the end of my first entire season, which has been an absolute joy. I hope you've all enjoyed these stories with us and please get in touch on social media to let us know your favourites and thoughts and whether you agree with our crazy theories or not. Um, So until next time, and I'll end with saying thank you to Marion for reading the story for us and to Lisa and David for joining us and to you for listening to season three. All that's left for me to say is until this week group of friends gets together again for another story from the friend to you, Cheerio. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Reading Between the Lines. Follow on your podcast app today so you don't miss out on our next story and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get the People's Friend magazine delivered, Because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you have an exclusive offer to subscribe to get your first 13 issues for just £6. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk, subscribe to our newsletter, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hasty back! There's a dainty little journal that is read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end, and is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend. Of good things it is such a happy blend. That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend